Hello, and welcome back to the Cosmic Companion. The human race now stands teetering at the intersection of three of the most dramatic changes ever seen in the history of our species. In the coming years, the human race will more than likely be living in space in large numbers for the very first time. Our species will move beyond our planetary cradle, bringing significant changes to society, economies, and even what it means to be a human being. In the very near future, we are also very likely to find the first definitive signs of life on another world. For the, we will, for the very first time, know that we are not alone in the cosmos. The genesis of the third great change coming for our species could already be on your desk or sweeping up under your couch. We call her she who shall not be named. And similar devices. Later in the show, we're going to talk with Jason McKenna from Vex Robotics about teaching children robotics and the future of robots in space. It's now commonplace to order up music, food, and, I don't know, gardening supplies, whatever we need, simply by making a request of our digital assistants. We can control our air conditioning, lights, solar panels, whatever we want with a simple request. We are living at the dawn of the age of robots with somewhere around 20 million of these electronic sidekicks expected around the world by 2030. Similar to the discovery of extraterrestrial life, the development of lifelike robots and their presence in everyday living for the masses could greatly alter our notions of what it means to be human. These mechanical companions already accompany human travelers on their explorations of the cosmos. Fleets of tiny cube-shaped robots called Astrobees, I love the name, right? Assist travelers aboard the International Space Station. These electronic aide-de-camps, as well as other systems, are readying for the Artemis missions, bringing humans back to the moon for the first time in five decades. These robotic companions were driven, are driven by artificial intelligence, these systems will move robots beyond carrying out simple directives. Robots of the future will sense changes to the environment around them undetectable to us lowly human beings. These robots gather pertinent data, calculate a course of action, and carry out inputs without human input. Early systems possessing these capabilities are already in place beyond the confines of Earth. Robots and the artificial intelligence powering their greatest promise need human input and development. The programmers and developers of the future are the children of today. And one unique solution to teach children how to code and develop the computer systems of the future is, you guessed it, robots. Next up, we talk with Jason McKenna of Vex Robotics about how robots can aid in STEAM learning for the scientists and engineers of the future.
This week on The Cosmic Companion, we're happy to be joined by Jason McKenna. He is the Director of Educational Strategy at Vex Robotics, and they're doing some amazing work teaching kids all about robots and coding. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. So you folks use a term that I absolutely love and that is educational robotics. Mm -hmm. What is educational robotics and what makes it so cool? Yeah, so educational robotics, uh, those are robotics that are used to organize STEM education. Uh, so just from a very tactical perspective, uh, we create products that students can engineer, they can also code, and use that engineering and coding to integrate science and math together. So uh, we start all the way in kindergarten with a product like Vex123. Uh, students progress to elementary school with a product like VexGo. In the middle school and high school with VexEQ and VexEXP. And then even beyond that with our work cell, which begins teaching factor automation. Uh, kind of beyond that, though, we, review, we view education robotics as actually being a medium. Uh, mm -hmm. So when I say that, you know, you can use paint to paint your house or you can use paint to paint the Sistine Chapel. So uh, painting is a medium. We feel like robotics is also a medium. It's a way for students to be creative. Um, it's a way for them to express themselves. It's a way for them to form robust, collaborative relationships with their peers. Um, it's a way for them to show their own ownership over their learning. Uh, and so that's what we're trying to do with educational robotics. It's fabulous. So you went into this a little bit, but I'd like to, I mean, what is it that makes coding and robotics, that sort of skill, skill so important for, for young people? Well, there's really two ways to look at it. Number one, um, there's research that shows that students as young as seven years old can form uh, an opinion about their proficiency in subject like science and math or coding for that matter. Uh, and oftentimes when that, when that attitude is formed, it's very difficult to change. This is something that we hear adults say all the time. They say, you know, I'm not a math person, I'm a literature person or vice versa. Uh, so we know it's, uh, students can form that opinion. We also know kind of the parallel to that, that opinion is false. There's no such thing as a math brain. Uh, there's no such thing as, um, as a reading brain or anything else along those lines. Um, I'd recommend um, Anders Erickson's books, Peak, for anyone who wants some more information about that, about how the brain can be adaptable and learn anything. So we want to be able to reach students very young in an engaging and fun way before they form these negative perceptions about their STEM abilities. So that's kind of number one uh, why we feel like it's so important. Um, otherwise, you know, it's important to teach students robotics, number one, to understand the world around them. Uh, the same reason why we teach students biology. Um, it's important to teach students robotics because robots are ubiquitous. Uh, kind of beyond that, um, the idea of embedded systems, right? So hardware and software working together. Uh, that's really what powers our worlds, whether it's the iPhone, your pocket, uh, or it's your car, or whatever else that is. Embedded systems are very important. So understanding them allows you really to understand the world. It helps to prepare you for jobs of the future. Um, the future is going to be around embedded systems. Uh, so teaching robotics really gives students an opportunity to uh, really do that in effective means. Um, it'll, it's a perfect organizer for STEM learning. So uh, project-based learning has been shown to uh, do things like help to narrow the achievement gap. Uh, it's also much more engaging for students. Uh, but teachers often have a very difficult time finding a project that has a low barrier of entry for students. 
uh, but also has a very high ceiling so students can really progress as far as they want to go. Uh, we feel like robotics is a perfect means to be able to do that. So uh, really, again, to kind of summarize, uh, we want to make sure that we start STEM early to reach students before they form a negative opinion about their STEM proficiency. Uh, we want to use robotics to teach students about the world around them. Uh, we feel like robotics um, helps prepare students for jobs in the future. And we also feel like robotics is the best organizer for project-based learning. That's fabulous. So um, a, uh, I'm imagining that one of the challenges you have, and I'd love to know if this is, this is a fact, but I, um, I would imagine that a, many parents might think, oh, I know nothing about robots, you know, I know nothing about coding, my kid has this interest in it. Um, it could, might seem to some parents that those challenges or those lessons could be insurmountable. How, how do you get around that? How do you get kids to interact with? with yeah, that, that, that is 100% correct. Your, um, uh, your, well, the proposition that you're putting forth there, it's 100% correct. And honestly, it's a customer education issue uh, that we have to try to overcome. Uh, there are a lot of parents, for example, that never played high school football, but have no problems exposing their students to football or soccer or whatever, whatever the thing may be. Uh, most parents are not published authors, but they have no problems helping their son or daughter with their language arts homework. Uh, so it exists in other domains. We have to just do the same thing for robotics. That's number one. So number one is a customer education problem. Uh, number two is just an access thing. Um, why can't a parent go to their local library and check out a robot to bring home and play with their, with their son or daughter? You know, those are things that, um, as a company, that we really have to be able to overcome and that we work hard every day to try to do those things. But um, honestly, it's, it's an education issue and it's an access issue, and we're trying to attack both of those fronts. Looking deep into the universe, we see backwards in time. And the oldest light in the universe holds secrets to how everything around us will, one day, end. Meanwhile, stars, planets, and galaxies dance in an intricate ballet, occasionally giving birth to life. We are a fledgling species, just beginning to visit other worlds. We are a way for the universe to understand itself. The Cosmic Companion strives to bring the universe down to Earth, and we depend on your help to make it happen. For information on subscriptions and ways to donate to this program, please visit thecosmiccompanion.net. Thank you. Hmm. They say that many of the great advances or most great advances are built on the shoulders of giants. Um, now, to me, it seems that at least in my own personal history, it might, might have been built on the shoulders of really cute little robots. I mean, <laughs> this is this going to age me here. But in 1979, I believe it was Milton Bradley brought out the big track. Do you remember this? And it was a little tank-like robot that, you know, toy robot that you mm -hmm. could program and tell it to go four feet, you know, four feet forward, stop, blink lights three times, turn left. <laughs> I remember know? it, yeah. Yeah, and um, so I'm wondering what things like that that have come in the past have helped inspire you. Uh, speaking to me personally, um, you know, I, I did those same things when I was in school that you mentioned right there. Uh, to be honest with you, though, I was one of those people that kind of formed that negative opinion about STEM when I was young. I always considered myself to be more of a, of a humanities guy. 
uh, as opposed to a robotics person. The big aha moment for me came, I, I tell the story that I was dragged into education robotics with my students as opposed to volunteering for it. But the big aha moment for me came when I saw the light bulb go off for my kids. You know, basically mm. all of the things that I was trying to do in my regular classes and I was struggling with. Um, for example, having students pursue multiple solutions for a problem. Uh, that was something that I always struggled with in a math class. You know, finding that problem that could be solved different ways, but was not so um, uh, difficult that students had no idea how to start it. Like that, you know, that was such, I tried for years to solve that in math. And the very first time I asked my students to code or to build and code a robot to move in a square, yeah. I had four groups of kids and I had four different answers. That's and great. really, yeah, and really at that point I was hooked. Uh, so, so I was, I became hooked to robotics from an educational perspective first before from a technology perspective. So, you know, we're here at Vex Worlds right now, you know, the world's largest robotics competition. And there's a lot of really cool robots here. I mean, there's a lot of really cool robots here and the kids love talking about the robots. From a technology perspective, there's a lot of really cool stuff here. But again, as an educator, the things that I love is seeing the kids all wearing the same t-shirt. You know, having that mm. uniform, uh, seeing how they decorate their pit, you know, where they stand in, in between practice rounds, uh, seeing a team from New Zealand collaborate with a team from Texas. You know, those are the things as an educator um, that I really love to see every single day. And those are the things that really inspire me on a daily basis. And so how can educators use educational robotics to help teach STEM slash STEAM? Yeah, so we work really hard uh, to try to find solutions for teachers at whatever level they are. You know, one of the perks of my job is I get to travel all over the world. I've been to every continent in the world talking to teachers about educational robotics and every implementation is different. You know, teachers have different challenges based upon budget concerns, based upon uh, their proficiency level, based upon you know, even the physical constraints of their classroom, the, how much room they have, you know, to store the robots or to find an area to perform that robotic activities. So we have to be able to create a solution that's flexible enough uh, that can handle all those different implementations. And it can also, uh, you have enough optionality to reach the students at their individual instructional levels. That's why uh, we're so proud that we have the VEX continuum of products that really expand from students as young as four years old all the way up through 18, 19, and 20 years old. Uh, so if teachers are looking to get started with that, um, I'd recommend they go to vexrobotics.com, uh, but also to getstarted.vex.com. And getstarted.vex.com has each of our platforms and lays out for you very specifically how you can get started with Vex. If you want to get started building a robot, if you want to get started coding a robot, if you want to get started then teaching with the robot, you know, wherever you are, uh, getstarted.vex.com uh, has, has options there for you to, again, walk you through the process to help you get started with our platforms. Hmm. And so long ago, uh, not long ago, certainly in my life, you know, when someone wanted to start learning how to code, um, basic was yeah. the fallback position, right? And yeah. I remember being on my father's lap and, you know, writing 10, print, Jim is great, 20, go to 10, you know, create an endless loop type yep. thing, you know? Yep. Yep. And so, but you folks have developed what you call VEX code. Mm -hmm. So what make what is VexCode and what makes it ideal for use with kids? Well, you kind of hit the nail on the head with, with the example that you gave right there. Um, you know, why is, why is the Hello World program 
the first program that everyone creates or you, you, you print, you know, I'm great or, you know, whatever the particular thing may be because you want that feedback. You want to see you actually did something. Hey, I wrote a piece of code. I compiled it and something happened. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, The problem is, is what do you do after that? You only print hello world so many times. Right. (laughs) The great thing about our product is I can see a robot actually move. I can see something happen physically uh, to represent the abstract logic behind computer science. So what we're trying to do with the robot is we're taking what's in the black box. So if I back up one second, you think about the challenge of teaching computer science. I'll use biology as another example. If you take 10th grade biology, you spent your entire life on the earth. So you have all this background information you're taking into when it comes to that 10th grade biology class. But the first time that you're asked to really understand how the code that you're writing is translated into machine code and then communicates to your computer to a robot, that's all a black box. You have no background knowledge there. So the more concrete examples that we can give a student to show what is actually going on with their code, the better off they're going to be. So that's why we feel like coding with a robot is such a powerful means to teach computer science. What we've tried to do with VEX code is we've tried to, first of all, create a block-based coding language to introduce students to computer science then allow them to, to, to go to transition to both Python or C++. But we're also building into VexCode right now, scaffolding within the software itself to help transition that, um, uh, the, that, that segue from block-based to text-based coding. Because we know, again, research is very clear that students do struggle when they do try to transition from block to text-based coding. The other thing we've tried to make easier with VexCode, first of all, for teachers, is we have downloadable apps and it's also web-based. We don't collect any student information. There's no student logins or anything else like that. Uh, So you don't have to worry about your school's privacy concerns, uh, nor do you have to worry about giving them a lockdown Chromebook they're not going to be able to access our software on. Second of all, if you've ever taken an intro to Python course, you know that you spend the first hour and a half downloading all the stuff that you need in order to actually be able to write a line of code in Python. So we've eliminated all of that. Uh, You can just simply go into our web-based browser, type it in, uh, and start coding your robot in Python um, in in VexCode. In a matter of minutes, you have a robot moving. So we've tried to really lower the barrier of entry again for students with VexCode, but also allow all the complexity in there so you can do some, if you want to do a PID algorithm with your robot or whatever it is, you can do all that fun stuff with VexCode also. Man, that sounds like so much fun. I want to do it. Don't, don't see around. <laughs> um, so, what is what is next for Vex Robotics? What, what do you have? What are you folks looking forward to? Yeah, so we're really expanding out our computer science continuum right now. We're we're putting more efforts into VexCode VR. Uh, VexCode VR is what we released uh, during the pandemic to provide teachers and students a means to stay connected to STEM. Uh, while we were teaching and learning from home. Uh, so we're in the process of doing right now is expanding that platform uh, and really expanding our computer science continuum uh, where we have with VEX123 right now and VEXCode VR into other products, other solutions, and also uh, VEXCode AI, which we're also really, really excited about all, uh, in addition. So uh, really building out the computer science continuum is what we're interested in doing. Um, I'll be presenting at CSTA uh, the Computer Science Teachers Association Conference in July, uh, kind of sharing a lot of this information with the, with the computer science teachers there. So that's kind of the immediate next thing that we have for VEX. Yeah, it's great. And finally, where can parents, educators, kids who are interested in, in these programs and in these um, things go for more information? 
Uh, anyone can email me at jason at bex.com. Uh, feel free to get a hold of me. I'll be happy to uh, communicate with you about some of the great things that we have. Uh, you can also, again, go to our website at bexrobotics.com or you can go to getstarted.bex.com or you can contact our sales at sales.bex.com. Great. Well, thanks so much for being on this show, Jason. It was fabulous talking with you. Yeah, fabulous talking with you also. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you. And that was Jason McKenna, Director of Educational Strategy for Vex Robotics. Now people living in lunar and human habitations will be surrounded by robots, although a few of these are likely to be anthropomorphic androids like Star Trek's Data or Rosie from the Jetsons. Robots could free humans from dangerous, repetitive work, and they are likely to play major roles in science, transportation, food production, and health and safety, just to name a few tasks they could carry out. Most robots will be designed for practical purposes, you know, like throwing finches, sampling air, delivering water, preparing food, whatevs. Some, however, are going to have some human-like characteristics. The Hanna, or Weird, hotel in southwestern Japan is already staffed by human-like robots carrying out the duties needed to run the inn. Now, how humans and a new breed of e-hominids uh, grow together over time remains a major question about our future, both on Earth as well as in space. Sophia, a humanoid robot, has already appeared as a guest on the Jimmy Fallon show and been granted citizenship by Saudi Arabia. Asimo, a humanoid robot under development by Honda, can easily move around homes, recognize people, and predict human behavior. You know, that last one's a skill I really need to learn, so. Other robots of the future might not look human, but could still be quite familiar. Dog-like robots are already being tested, and one can imagine cat-like robots aren't far behind. Honestly, they're probably already built, but they just won't come when they're called for photo shoots. I mean, just shake a bag of e-treats already, people. Many of the life plans seen on Earth work very, very well for particular environments, and they're also going to do so in space. This pretend snake-like robots, e-spiders, and pissing cyborgs! Startups, developers, and creators are pushing robotics forward at the same time we move out into space and discover our place among the cosmos. In turn, robots are destined to change our species forever. Join us next week on the 21st of June as we discuss Killer Rocks from Space! Part of our new limited series, 10 Ways the Universe is Out to Kill You. It is. Just keep watching. Please support and share this program at thecosmiccompanion.tv. We'd love to see you. Bring a robot.